Good morning and welcome to um, our lesson for today. And uh, as we uh, continue to uh, look into God's Word, this is uh, we're going to be studying today uh, Zechariah chapter 8. And uh, we appreciate you being with us. Uh, you know, we have a website, uh, thebattleswithin.org. We have a Facebook page, The Battles Within. And we also have Twitter accounts also. So we have a variety of ways to try to reach out to people to share the uh, Word of God. I also recently published a new blog yesterday about uh, why do we sing. If you aren't uh, watching any of that, I, I, you know, I encourage you to take a look over there and see about those things. And your comments are always welcome. Well, as we begin, we're a little starting a little earlier today because uh, uh, our church, uh, Branch Chapel, is actually having a morning worship service at 1030 uh, on the lawn. It's the first day they're allowed to go back and do that. So we're uh, they're going to be doing that today. So I decided I would have the Sunday school lesson for those of you at 9 o'clock this morning. So we are appreciative of you being here. We're going to go ahead and just jump in and get started. I saw a, uh, uh, um, uh, I watch uh, Brother Walter Blackman has a, um, his church has a Sunday school teacher that does their Sunday school lessons, different ones, sometime each week. And they did a presentation last night, and I saw they took about 20 minutes to go through the material. Uh, mine's going to take a little longer than that. but So we're going to try to just jump in and get started. Before we do, let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have that we can come to you and we can share your word. We can open it. We can read about it. We can allow your word to speak to us. Not the words of David Barber, Lord, but the words of your truth, the words that you gave uh, Zachariah to, to give to us and to give to the nation of Israel. Help the Lord understand it and then be able to share the gospel because of the preaching and teaching of your word. We thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. Uh, we pray, Lord, for this time of pandemic that you would be with those who are suffering. I pray, Lord, that you would help the doctors as they treat those people in need. I also pray for the scientists and the researchers who are investigating you know, how we can overcome the pandemic how we can vaccinate people or find cures for it. Lord, we know that you're the source of all that knowledge. You already know the answer. I pray, Lord, you use the uh, people that you put in there in those positions to identify it and be able to uh, uh, cure this land. Again, thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today if you get your Bibles out and turn to, Zachi Zach to Zachariah, it's one of the minor prophets in the back of the Old Testament, right before you get to the New Testament. It's only a couple of chapters over, a couple of books over. And it's Zechariah chapter 8 we're going to be talking about. How many of you, um, when you were little, your parents, or when you as parents taught your children to say this prayer, God is good, God is great, uh, you know, that, that type of prayer? Well, the reason why we do that is because we want the the child to begin to develop thinking about how awesome God is. You know, uh, think about his actions are always good and great. And so this is important. We as humans, we're impatient people, impatient creatures. You know, we want it now. And when this age of technology that we have, uh, it, it comes to a point where every question that you have you can just pick up your phone and say, hey, Suri, and she will show up. 
So the, the point is they can even ask any questions you have. You can just ask your phone and your phone will find the answer or at least an answer for it if possible. Now, sometimes you ask questions and it'll say, huh? Or uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing is all the answers are available. Uh, we, but, but, you know, we need to be reminded that God is eternal. You know, time doesn't mean anything to him. You know, the Bible tells us that a thousand years is like a day because uh, it means nothing. Whereas man, he says, is like, man's life is like a vapor. You know, uh, it just quickly passes away. Because compared to an eternity, man's lifetime on this earth is limited, very much limited. But see, God has a plan, and God God can, can execute his plan in this generation or in the next generation to come. You know, God had a plan for the nation of Israel that they would go into the promised land. And he sent the spies in. And remember, they sent, sent, they sent the, the spies, all but two of them, came back and said, we can't do it. And uh, Joshua and Caleb said, yes, you can. God is with us. We can take this land. But because the people said no and their heart failed, God said, fine. And he let them wandering the, wizard, the wilderness for 40 years until that generation was gone and the new generation came on. See, God is patient. God has time. Time's on his side. Time means nothing to him. So uh, understand that we have to understand when we read the scripture that God is patient and we need to be patient with him. Patience is a virtue here. Well, see, the nation of Israel at this point in time in history had forgotten the greatness of God. They've forgotten about all the great things that he had done and they become disheartened by the things that were happening and, uh, and they had lost their hope. You know, one thing I always say that, you know, the worst thing to me is for me to become frustrated. Well, I don't think there's anything I can do and become frustrated. That's when I feel the most discouraged. You know, when I feel the, the worst of my life is when I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do. The, and, and, you know, but in those times, we can turn to God. See, God continues to send his messengers. Even in this time for Israel, he sent his messengers. And he reminded them, hey, I got this. You know, we need to remember when times of trouble, with this pandemic going around us, remember God says, I got this. No matter what, I'm in control. I got this. Um, so let's look just a little bit about the historical background of this book. Seems like every book we have to cover historical backgrounds because we got a different lesson from a different book every week. Makes it more difficult for all of us to go through a study, but but we do need to know you can't just read in the Bible, you can't just pop in a verse and read a verse. You need to kind of understand from a chronological Bible chronology of why God has the same message for us today that he had for them back then. The problem is understanding what the message he had for them back then. Because <laughs> the message back then may not sound the same to us today unless we understand what God was trying to say to them back then. Because what he says to them back then, he's saying to us today. You know, I hope you understand that logic. So you have to understand what he was trying to say to them. You can't pull something out of the air and say, ah, oh, this applies today. Well, it does apply today, but you've got to understand what the context was that he was saying it in. Um, so historical background. Well, Zach Zechariah, his name means one whom God remembers. How appropriate. One whom God remembers. Now, Zechariah's name was not 
an uncommon name. It's kind of like, my name is David. How many Davids are there? By the way, how many David Barbers are there? Do a search, man, there's lots of them. <laughs> there's lots of David Barbers. But there was there were a number of men during that in the Bible who were known as Zechariah, which is one whom God remembers. Um, Zechariah was a priest and a prophet. So he wasn't just a prophet and he wasn't just a preach, he, priest. He was a priest and a prophet, similar to Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Now, his father probably died when he was young because it talks about, if you read the book of uh, uh, Zechariah, you'll see that he talks about his father, Ido, I-D-D-O. And Ido was actually his grandfather. And uh, Ido was one of the priests who came back with Zerubbabel from Babylon when the, when the, uh, the Israel, the, the, uh, when the uh, exiles were returning, the remnant returned. He returned with Zerubbabel. Well, Zechariah was born in Babylon. He must have been young when he left to go back with his family. So he was born in the captivity and then came to Israel, to the, the Israel. He began his prophetic life in the early years of Darius's reign around 520 B.C. Look at some of the themes of the book. Well, 20 years after the return from exile, Signs of God's continued favor seem to disappear. You know, these people are excited. Let's go. We'll go back. We'll build the kingdom. We'll do it. Liar. And then we got to get there. And then things are not as swiftly flowing. You know, people leave uh, one church and go to another because they think, oh, boy, things are excited. You know, you get rid of your pastor and hire another one because, oh, things are done. And then after a little while, you know, it's not as easy as you thought it was going to be. Well, here's these people left, returned from exile, and 20 years after this, they seemed like they were thinking that maybe God really is not in favor of us here. His appearances of his favor has seemed to disappear. Uh, many of those that returned wondered, had God forgotten us? You know, sometimes in life we think that when things don't go our way. But, you know, God is patient. Uh, Zechariah unfolds details of the glorious future of this nation, even though they currently saw nothing. Uh, you know, they say seeing is believing. <laughs> no. <laughs> believing is believing. Seeing is not faith, right? We know that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is about hope. We have faith. You know, I, I, was, I have a message that I've been working on that says how to lose your faith. And look forward to it. You know, well, how to lose your faith? Look, yes, how to lose your faith and look forward to it. Because see, in heaven there'll be no faith. <laughs> no faith in heaven. You don't need faith in heaven. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But when you get to heaven, you don't need faith. You don't need hope. You have reality. So you see, these, these people though, these, these people were losing their faith. They were losing their hope. But so so Zechariah wanted to make sure these people understood that God is in control and he has a bright future for them. So he shares with them a renewed vision of their future. He tells them what God says to them is coming. This is a message from God to the people. It's not a message from Zechariah. So he provides an inside look at the thoughts of God. So let's get into it now. Verse 1. Chapter 8 of Zechariah, verse 1. And he says, 
Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, interesting the word again. This is the fourth time the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. He had ten visions, and this is the fourth time. So this was not something new to Zechariah. It's not something new to his people who, who listened to him, with his, you know, his people that was in his synagogue or people around him. They knew he had been, God had spoken to him before. He wasn't new to this game. He had experience. So when he's telling you something, he has knowledge. It's not something that he wasn't sure about. He's sure that this was a vision of God. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah. This chapter contains this. This is this chapter contains the second half of the Lord's answer concerning fasting and merging into prophecy that that Zechariah had prayed for, and so God had given him the answers. He uses that phrase, and we've seen this phrase before: the Lord of Hosts. Remember the word Lord. You've heard me say this before. Lord, when it's capital L O R D, means mighty warrior. So the mighty warrior of hosts is what he's saying. Again, the mighty warrior of hosts. Of hosts stresses his power and identifies his army. Who's the army of God? <laughs> the heavenly army that cannot be defeated. The mighty warrior. He's not just a mighty warrior that's standing alone. He's a mighty warrior with a mighty army ready to, to defend and to attack. And to preserve the Lord of hosts, the mighty warrior of this mighty army. So he's telling them, solve the bat. Listen, remember who you're talking to. Remember who's speaking to you. God. You know, sometimes we take God for so much granted. We forget who God is. We act like he's our buddy. I've had this thing about being God and being your buddy. God's not my buddy. God is not my buddy. God is my God, my Savior, my Lord, the mighty warrior, the Lord of hosts. Let's don't treat God like our buddy. Treat God like who he is. When people saw God and saw the saw God in the presence of God, they fell to their face on the ground as if they were dead. See, God is mighty and needs to be worthy of our praise. Be careful, folks, how we treat God how we treat God's house, how we treat God's people, how we treat God's ministers, how we treat God's word. God is mighty, and he's the Lord of hosts. And he says to them, remember this. This is a wake-up call to be, listen. It's kind of like you see somebody slap you, slap you across the face. What are you doing? Think about this. God is mighty. And he says, he came to me, the Lord of hosts came to me this no doubt talks about feels like i imagine can you only well can you imagine the unworthiness felt by zachariah this mighty god of warrior this host of armies that can do all things and yet he comes to me to me to say something to me to share with you what an honor what a privilege God gives us his word. What an honor, what a privilege for us to share it with other people. The Lord of hosts, the mighty warrior of this magnificent army has given you and us as Christians the ability, the power. He comes to me. He comes to you with the word of God. He came to me, he said, 
It is God that did the seeking, and it's God that gave the message. It's not me, Zechariah says, but God has given me a message for you. Um, this wasn't a message from man, but a message to man from the mighty warrior, the Lord of hosts. So we see then verse 2, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, again, Lord of hosts. This phrase occurs 10 times in this chapter alone and 50 times in this book. One thing Zechariah knew was that God was the mighty warrior. For sure. I'm going to tell you something. I've said this over and over again. If you've listened to me before, you know I've said it. God can do anything. I am confident there is nothing he cannot do. Nothing. Zilch. Now, will he? That's an entirely different story. I don't know the mind of God. I can tell you he can do anything. But he chooses to do what is right. We choose to do what's easy, what's convenient, what meets our desires. God chooses what is right. And we'll see that a little more along in this passage. So we see that uh, the phrase occurs, stressing the, it stresses the truth about all the promises made to Zion or to the nation of Israel was coming from the Lord himself. He's telling these people in the nation of Israel, listen, this is God, the mighty warrior, the host of many, the controller of many armies. He's got something to tell you. It's not coming from me. It's coming to him, from him to you. And since it's from him, the mighty warrior, there is no one that can stand up against him. There is no truth that cannot come from him. There is no lies, no deceit. All promises will be fulfilled because he has the power to do anything. We see verse B, verse, second part of verse 2. I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Now, the word jealousy here in the ancient Hebrew comes from the idea to become intensely red. You know, people know me. Those times when I get excited, when I get excited, is when my face turns red because I'm excited. I become flushed with my blood pumping through me and it shows through my skin, you know, when you get excited. and That's what they mean here. God, was, the, the jealousy of Zion was great jealousy. It, ancient Greek, become intense red. Um, the thought is of uh, uh, becoming flushed deep with emotion. God is deep with emotion, he says. Now, this form of jealousy is not that of a teenage boy, you know, that's jealous of his girlfriend or something like that. This means he has a profound caring and commitment to his people. Caring and commitment to the point where his emotions, you know, God loves deeply. There is no love greater than the love of God. Because how do we know this? Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave. Let me tell you, there is no love greater than God's. God, his profound caring and commitment. He was jealous. That's the type of jealousy we're talking about. By the way, the same word in Hebrew can be translated as zeal. So not just jealousy, but zeal or desire. 
to accomplish something, to, su to succeed. God wants us to be successful. He wants us to succeed in this lifetime at achieving our best. Different of us have different bests. We can do different things. God desires for us. He has a jealousy for us. He has a desire. He wants us to be our best. I've always said this. You cannot surprise God because God knows everything, past, present, and future. God knows it all. But you certainly can disappoint him. You know, God has a plan for each of our lives. Do we live up to our plan? I dare say we fail him many times. We can disappoint him, but we can never surprise him. It's a guy at Azil. He said, I was jealous with her with great fury. Um, one side of God's love for Zion is shown in the punishment of her enemies. I mean, we've seen God destroy the enemies of Israel. Destroy them. <laughs> you know, we read the story of the of the um, uh, the 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 um during the siege on Jerusalem, uh, whenever there was people, women and men, uh, family, women, mothers were killing their children to eat. And uh, prophet prophesied that the next day there'd be food enough that they had to go to waste. And people said it's impossible. And some, uh, some leopards had come to the gate begging for food and they couldn't find any. And they said, well, let's go to the enemy. Maybe they'll have sympathy on us. And when they went to the enemy, there was nobody there. <laughs> for God has sent fear upon the Assyrians and they ran and left everything. And so after the after the um, the the after the uh, leopards had gotten their share, they felt guilty and went back and told the people in Jerusalem and they went out and they they were instantly feasting. See God can control his enemies. We don't have to. He can strike blindness. God can do anything. And they want to remember this that God dealt with our enemies with great fury. One commenter, commentator uh, likens the zeal or jealousy here to the pillars of fire in Exodus. It was light for the Israelites, but it was darkness and destructions for the Egyptians. We see that in Exodus 14, 20. It says, and it came, to pass, it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud of darkness to them. And it gave light by night to these, so that one came not near the other all night. See, God has always been jealous. And his fury is great. Verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. We you know we studied that another week or so ago about God being in the midst of this millennial reign. Again, this is prophetic. Um, this is two things we see here. First of all, one of them occurred during the reign, during the time that Jesus was there. He dwelt in the midst of them, didn't he? He actually physically dwelt there. Well, there's coming a day when he will also physically dwell in the millennial, in the new Jerusalem. And that'll happen in the millennial reign of Christ. So this is prophetic in that way also. So he said, thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. God's people in the city will be transformed by the presence of God. You know, where God is, light is. For there's no darkness with God. He said, I am returned unto Zion. When Jerusalem was taken and given over to the enemy, God seemed to have deserted her. Um, the word Zion in this phrase can refer to all of Israel, but 
it is actually more specifically, we believe, in this particular case, talking about the temple. Because in this time period, they were trying to rebuild the temple. It had not been built yet. It was still being done. It was not completed. 20 years had passed. And so we see that they say God is in their midst here. Um, God tells them that he, God tells them, listen, I'm back, baby. You know, you, you, you may not believe me, I'm here. He said he will again dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, in the temple. I will dwell here. He said, I will I, I've already restored you from exile. He said, I've, I, we will rebuild the temple. We rest, I've restored the voice of prophecy. Here, I'm prophesying to you now. God tells him he's back. The, the next part of that verse says, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. Because God's present, the city will be transformed into a place of truth and holiness. No longer full of lies, betrayal, infidelity. God dwelling there, it shall be a faithful city. This is a millennial reign now, mind you. Prophetic, it hasn't happened yet. But Isaiah 126 says, And I will restore thy judges as at the first, and thy counselors at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So Jerusalem will have a new name. The city of righteousness, the faithful city. See, that's coming. God has promised them this. Um, all This is all true and real shall flourish in this city. This will be a great shining star in the city of Jerusalem, the new city, the city of righteousness, the city of faithfulness, the city of truth. Zechariah is reminding them, is telling them this prophecy. It says, and the last part of that verse says, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the mighty mountain. When God's presence is real and embraced in our lives, we become the people of truth and holiness. See, our bodies are the temple of the Lord. We can say that this mountain, the Lord of hosts, the holy mountains, we are. We are the holy mountain of God. But in this particular phrase, again, they're referring to this particular thing. But look, remember 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul describes our process of transformation. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we are close to God, we become more like Him. As we stay in His Word and study the Word and pray and worship and learn and lean, we become more and more like God. It says we become like a glass, in the glass the image, the glory of God, and are changed from glory to glory. Well, in that ultimate day, this city of Jerusalem will be the city of God. It will be the righteous city, the faithful city. It will be changed. It will be converted because of the presence of God. The holy mountain. This specifically is talking about the hill, the temple's built on. Because the Lord will dwell in that sanctuary. He's telling them this. Listen, let's build this. Let's get it done. Let's go. The Lord, the mighty host. Let's do it. Now we know this, all as we said, this verse 3 it was a is a partial fulfillment was done. The temple was rebuilt. Jesus came and dwelt in the midst of them. But we did not see Jerusalem as being the faithful city, the righteous city. Matter of fact, Jerusalem is where Jesus was crucified, was taken in trial, and was and was beaten and killed. So we know that Jerusalem was not the faithful city. 
was not the truthful city, but it will be one day. And Jesus will sit on that throne. We know that. Let's look at verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, again, Lord of hosts, mighty warrior, there shall yet there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for every age. You know, because of difficulties, old people don't survive in places of harshness. And you don't see a lot of children running around in those places because it becomes difficult. Well, the Lord has promised that Jerusalem is going to be a city with old people. They're going to be yet men, and they're going to dwell in the streets of Jerusalem. And, and we'll see every man with his staff in his hand from very age. In other words, this city is going to be, the Lord promises changes were coming. And one day, the old and the young together would enjoy the city in safety. Now, this was a significant problem promise uh, because, remember, in Zechariah's time, Jerusalem walls were in ruin. The city wasn't safe and secure for old men and old women, boys and girls to play in the streets. It wasn't that way. In many parts of the world today, it's not that way either. Uh, we see this, this clearly is a prophetic uh, statement of the millennial reign of Christ where death is halted for those who serve God. Evil will be dealt with swiftly. We know that. And so there will be death, but not in this city. So we know this is prophecy. He said, There shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem. What a happy picture of plenty and security. Um, such promises were also made in the Masonic, in the in the uh, Messianic, I always have trouble saying that word, but in the promises of the Messiah. In Isaiah 65, 20, he said, There shall no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. There coming a day when people will live long, long lives because of the, the, the safety and security of God is coming, folks. And Zechariah, I mean, uh, yeah, Zechariah is telling the nation of Israel, folks, I'm telling you, God's promises are true. He's the mighty where he can do anything. This is coming. Have faith. Be strong. Be of courage. Verse 5 says, And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Not only old people are going to survive, but children full of boys and girls. Uh, Jerusalem and other cities had long been strangers to happy sights as this. Going to Palestine today and going to other places of the world, it's hard to see children playing in the streets for terrorism is wide open. People are afraid of their children. Today in America, we don't let our children go out and play by themselves. We have to keep an eye on them because evil's abounding. But it's coming a day when boys and girls can play in the streets again without any fear. Uh, there'll be a large increase of population in promise in the latter days. Hosea 110 says, Yet the number of children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. And Micah 2.12 says, I will surely assemble, Jacob, all of thee. 
I will surely gather the remnants of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Boaz, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. God says, I'm going to bring them all together. There'll be great sounds of joy and laughing, laughter and peace and blessings. Now, you need to remember that from 70 AD when Rome fell, when Rome finally I mean, destroyed Jerusalem, and until 1948, there was no nation of Israel. So during the, during the preaching of the gospel up until 1948, those who preached this, including Spurgeon, by the way, there was no nation of Israel. There was none. They were still scattered abroad. Yet they still believed the word of God is true. They still believed it. Uh, in the millennial reign, I'm not going to cover that one. Now, it's interesting enough that, just to say, uh, uh, J. Vernon McGee, who I really like, enjoy listening to, sometimes he says some things out there just to, I think, get a shock factor. But he took the meaning of this, that boys and girls are playing in the streets, that there will be no cars in the millennial reign of Christ. <laughs> no cars in Jerusalem because the boys and girls are playing in the streets. You know, maybe there'll be drones. I'm big into drones. If anybody knows me, I've got a lot of, I'm doing a lot of stuff with drone technology today. So maybe there'll be flying drones. There'll be no need to fighting streets. So, uh, but they'll be playing in the streets. Let's look at verse six. Thus said the Lord of hosts, it will be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days. Should it also be marvelous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts. If it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of the people, the promise of a transformed, prosperous, safe, Jerusalem seemed a little fantastic to believe. If it is marvelous in the eyes, in other words, I don't know if I can believe that. They saw that the city was half built and the walls wouldn't be complete for another 60 years, you understand. And so they think, how can I believe this is true? This is going to happen. The phrase is the remnant. You know, in the, it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant. So these people said it's hard to believe. Who are these people? The remnant. These were the eternal Jews that saw the marvelous work. Haggai 1.12 said, Then Jerubbabel, the son of Shetah, and jo Joshua, the son of Jodek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people did fear before the Lord. See, the returned Jews and their posterity saw the marvelous works of God. These people saw the magnificent works of God. These remnants saw it. Then he says, should it also be marvelous? Am I not, should it be too big for me? He said, okay, for you people, the remnant they come back, you think it's too big. It's too much. I can't do it. It can't be done. And God asked him, is it too big for me? Is it too marvelous in my eyes? Just because it seems too big for you doesn't mean it's too big for me. I've heard people say, oh, that's impossible. That can't happen. Listen to tell you, Bible tells us with God, nothing is impossible. Right? Matthew 19, 26 says, Jesus said, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, these people had to be reminded, don't look at it from your eyes. Look at it from God's eyes. Is anything too impossible for God? No, it's not. Spurgeon tells a story when he was a boy and he was taken by a friend uh, uh, to a home of one of the nobles. 
And uh, his friend took him, and uh, and when he went into the house, he was amazed. Spurgeon was amazed at what he saw. He'd never seen anything like it before. You know, this was just beyond his imagination, and all the 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 all the features and the beauty and all the majesty. And uh, Spurgeon said, "What a house for a man to live in!" And the guy with him said, "Bless you, boy. This is only the kitchen." See, Spurgeon was only looking at the servant's apartment. He wasn't even looking at the, the mansion itself. You know, we can see the glory of God, but we can't even begin to understand the magnificent glory of heaven. We can't begin to imagine the majesty of the new Jerusalem. We cannot, our minds cannot comprehend it. But we know if we can be amazed at the beauty we see on this earth, and there are some beautiful things in this earth. I've been blessed to see. I've flown over the Rocky Mountains. I've been able to go to see some great wonders of the world. There's some glorious, beautiful things that God has created, but is nothing compared to what the glory waits us when we go to heaven. Um, Spurgeon, reflecting on his, on his uh, uh, situation, said, oftentimes, when we see what the Lord has done, are you ready to cry out? How can all this be? His goodness? His mercy? Is it as great as this? Rest assured that you have only seen a little of this great house. You have not seen the palace of the Most High where he reveals his power and his splendor. We haven't begun to see. Verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east, from the west country. God promised to bring all his dispersed people back. Um... The east and the west is is as uh, its re regions are kind of named the whole world. So he says, from the east and the west, he says, I'm gonna bring them all back. He's not only gonna bring back the captain from Babylon, but all those that were assembled other places. He said he's gonna bring them all back. Isaiah 43 5 and 6 says, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. Will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Romans 11, 26 and 7 says, And so shall all Israel be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. The millennial race, the Israelites will be back. All of them will be back together in a nation, and Jesus will be the king of the world and will rule from the nation of Israel, from the throne in Jerusalem. Um, verse 8, and I will bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. God not only promised a gathering geographically, but he promised a gathering spiritually. These will be their, I will be their God and they shall be my people in truth and in righteousness. He doesn't just address their change of address. He addresses their change of their heart. Uh, verse 11 now. Now, for now I will be unto the residue of this people, as in the former days, saith the Lord of hosts. God allowed a period of difficulty, but would not allow it to last forever. He said, but now I will not be. See, God's attitude towards the people had already changed in consequences of their diligence in the work. They worked hard on this in a difficult task, and God honored their work and said, don't be discouraged. You know, those people who rejected me, I rejected them. 
this remnant. God has always said, I'll always have a remnant. You know, we as Christians think the world is going down to hell quicker and quicker every day, but God always has a remnant. Are you part of that remnant today? He said, in the former days, because of their sins, there was a curse upon them, and the curse has now been removed, and the penalty has been paid. They have suffered that thing, and they have been brought back because of their penalties the penalty had to be paid. Verse 12, For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give her fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heaven shall give her due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. See, the crops that will be sown will be the crops of peace, safety, and security. Her vine will be full of these fruits. Verse 13, And it shall come to pass that as ye were accursed among the heathen, O house of Judah, and the house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Though their present state was lowly, God wanted Israel to trust in his promises, and let the promise encourage them. He says, as ye were cursed among the heathen, as your, faith was, as your fate was used as an example among the heathen, what happens to those who hate me? So shall your taking away the curse be used as an example to those who reject the, 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 the penalty, the, the hating of God, the things God hates. If the nation of God will turn, remember it says, if you turn from your wicked way and repent of your sins, you will hear from heaven and God will heal your land. Folks, America can turn back to God, but I'm afraid it may be too late. O house of Israel, um, he said, so I will save you. God will demonstrate he is the one doing the work so all the world will know it's not the power of Israel, but the power of the God of Israel that made the difference. That's what David said. David said, let me go after that, that Goliath because he got nothing on me because I got God on my side and my God is more powerful than any giants you can throw my way. I can do anything because God is powerful and mighty and God can save. The children of Israel, the, 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 the three the Hebrew three children who were thrown in the fire pits, what they say? My God can deliver, but if he doesn't, that's okay. Job said, even if he slay me, I'm going to serve him. See, faith, these people had to gain faith. It doesn't matter. Don't look around your surroundings, but look at what God is. Look at the mighty warrior God is in control. He says, and you shall be a blessing. Instead of an example, the world will see them as a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Zephaniah 3, 16 said, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and Zion, let not thy hand be slack. We talked about this last week. There's trouble coming, but don't fear it. Uh, let your hands be strong. Have you ever been in a situation where you're so discouraged you feel that your strength has been sucked out of your body and it's hard to even get up? The Judeans felt that way. But God tells them not to be discouraged. He says in Joshua 1, 9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. What about the Holocaust? We think about the millions of Jews who were killed in the Holocaust. That was a curse upon Israel because of their sin. But God will heal them 
God has restored them. What did he do? Because of that wickedness, terrible time, the world as a whole rose up and said, let's give them their homeland back. And the world did that because of this terrible thing that took place. Verse 14, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, as though I... As I thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, saith the Lord of hosts, I repented not. He said, listen, you know, I proposed to punish you because of your sins of your fathers, and I did exactly what I said I was going to do. In verse 15, so again, have I thought of these days to do well in Jerusalem and the house of Judah. Fear ye not. Just as I promised you judgment, I promise you a blessing. You can trust me to know that I did the punishment. You saw it. It happened because of your sin. You can trust me. Your blessings will happen because of your righteousness. So then he says, verse 16, These are the things that you shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute judgment of truth and peace in your gates. These are the things that you shall do. To secure the fulfillment of this promise of good, they must do the will of God. Speak every man to his neighbor truth. This is the truth. This is what this was to be obeyed to all conversations. Paul says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He said they will execute judgments in the gate of truth and peace. That means they will do right. Verse 17. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oath for all these things that I hate, saith the Lord. Let none of you. The Lord reminds them that he's not blind. He will see. He will still punish as he has to. Jeremiah 13, 10 said, This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their hearts, and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this girdle which is good for nothing. Romans 10, 10 said, For with the heart man believes in the righteous, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. See, if our heart's not right with God, God will punish. And he said, if it's not this generation of Israel, it'll be another generation. Remember, God has time. Love no false oath. The prevailing sin of the time was not idolatry, but cheating, lying, and injustice. Isn't that the truth in our time? Don't put on fake smiles to me, he says to the nation, because I see and I know the intents of your heart. Deuteronomy 28, 15 says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. See, God promised the nation of Israel that if they did not follow him, if they hate, if they did the things that God hates, then he will punish them. America, if you do the things that God hates, he will punish her. He will punish you. The nation of Israel had promises, and God's promise is true. We can trust the new Jerusalem coming. We can trust the millennial reign of Christ. We can trust that there will be peace and truth and prosperity. But that only comes through returning to God and through the end times, I'm afraid, that's ahead. Our now conclusion is going to be, God sent a message to the nation of Israel to remind them that he's still on the throne. He's still protecting them. He's still planning a great future for them. Yes, it is conditional. They must choose to obey, or else destruction for that generation will also occur. 
One day this will all be passed. Israel will be the nation God intended. All nations of the earth will be blessed by her, and all nations will be want to be her. And that day is coming. We as Christians should pray for Israel and support her. See, that's God's plan. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for all that you do. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us today and uh, take this word to your blessings. I pray, Lord, for the messages that are coming up, that you be with them. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time and your attention. Hopefully, it says we're having problems with the video. Hopefully, you did not. But anyway, thank you much. Have a great one. We'll talk to you later.